Welcome to Coding the Future with Dr. Sharon Jones. This is an education-based show focusing on tech careers and how to incorporate the important aspects of technology in your current work. Each show brings you closer to tech success. Now, here's your host, Dr. Sharon Jones. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Coding the Future with Dr. Sharon Jones. I am your host, Dr. Sharon Jones. It seems kind of redundant when I say that over and over again, but you know, here we are. And I am so excited to have you back again for another episode. Over the past few weeks, we have been digging in, talking about how we can help our young people really find their space and their confidence in the tech world. In addition, inspiring us as adults to continue to find our role and space in the tech world and how we can leverage our skill set to not only grow us professionally, but help the generation that is behind us. We are going to con continue this conversation over the next couple of weeks because I think it is so important for us to remember that even though we ourselves are also navigating our career journey during this time of COVID, it is also equally important for us to remember the power of our skill set to give back. So today... I have one of my dear friends joining us who is also another entrepreneur and nonprofit owner in the Charlotte area. As many of you know, I own a nonprofit called the Dottie Rose Foundation where we support middle school girls in computer science. Now, we, we serve, our main mission is to serve the young ladies of our area and beyond because of the deficit of female representation in the tech world, but we do not uh, turn any child away from our programming. But part of the work that I think is so important to what we do in terms of creating confidence, building strategy, understanding this powerful world of technology is partnering with our community, partnering with organizations and other businesses that do things that maybe are out of our normal skill set. So for me, I love to code and program and teach, and I am actually love to work with data the most. I don't necessarily have a great creative piece in my brain. I I can work in Canva, don't get me wrong, <laughs> love Canva, um, but I think it's really important for us to partner with others to accentuate all of our skill sets and come together and create more impact. So I've had the privilege of getting to know uh, William McNeely, who is an entrepreneur who's also taught me a bit about being an entrepreneur because as an educator, it took me a little while to find my my rhythm as an entrepreneur who has given me great support and advice and has had his own very, well, you're going to be very um, uh, moved by William's journey. But he and I are navigating the waters of nonprofit and finding a space for our young people to really grow both as entrepreneurs and in the tech space. So without further ado, without me rambling some more, I'd like to introduce you to my friend William McNeely uh, to the show. And thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Dr. Jones. Good morning. How are you? I'm great. You know, um, we both were laughing that we're recording the show. It, it feels early because it's after Labor Day and um, we both have our coffee and but it's going to be a great conversation. I know what we're going to we're going to uh, bring our energy to the fact that we love 
uh, and have passion for our work. So, William, tell, I'd like for you to start, because your, your journey and your story is so compelling. Um, so, tell us a little bit about when you began your career. Did you start in tech, or did you navigate into the tech world then, you know, because... It's, you have so many different pieces that have placed you where you are right now as an entrepreneur yeah, yeah. and an entrepreneur in the nonprofit space. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, uh, I believe I'm an entrepreneur at heart, per se, uh, but I didn't start in that, in that area. Um, I always ha- I've always had an entrepreneurial mindset, uh, but coming out of uh, uh, college, um, you know, I thought I wanted to be a mechanical engineer uh, at the time, and uh, so... That was my journey as I moved forward uh, uh, from an engineering standpoint and found very quickly that uh, my personality, my style, my, you know, it's just, I wasn't an engineer, you know. And so for me, it was like, okay, what is it, what is it that, uh, that I'm interested in, that attracts me, that, 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 that helps me from a creativity standpoint and a logic standpoint? And so early, uh, early on uh, in the, I'll date myself now, but uh, in the early 80s, uh, there was a, uh, a company that had started uh, that uh, just caught my eye and it was called Apple. Uh, and I said, you know mm. what? That's a, an extremely innovative company. Uh, that's where I want to work. Uh, and so at the time, Apple was building, uh, you know, computers. You know, the, you know for, for those of, uh, of your listeners who are my age, you know, the Apple <laughs> II and, mm-hmm. and that, that took off in the early 80s and uh, right in the, uh, the formulation of the uh, first Macintosh, yep. uh, the first Mac. Uh, and so I was enamored with that. And I said, you know, that's the company I want to work for. So what is it going to take for me to, to actually gain the skills to do that? And I had come from a, uh, you know, a, a very, very uh, economically depressed environment. And so for me to think like that was like out of the ordinary. It was like, okay, what do you, what do you mean? And so as I started to uh, matriculate through school, I said, you know, information systems, the business of computers. I said, that's kind of, that's kind of interesting. It was a, it was a, uh, a curriculum and a, uh, uh, an area that was just starting to take off with businesses starting to understand how to use data, how to use uh, uh, their skill mm-hmm. sets around uh, uh, technology in the confines of a business environment. Uh, and so I said, you know what, I'm a business minded guy. I'm an entrepreneur. Uh, let me transfer into the business school uh, and get that and, and, and get that kind of skill set. So again, I, I went and uh, received an information systems degree. But for me, it was just a matter of, of, of getting the foundation uh, because I, I didn't think I would become a, a, a programmer within the, within the confines of a business, but I wanted to have that foundation. I wanted to have that understanding. I wanted to have that, those problem-solving skills as I went into the technology industry. And so when I went into Apple, I went into, uh, you know, eventually directly into account management and sales. Uh, so I was selling technology. Wait a minute, but you skipped a point. You skipped a point. First of all, business of computers, love the way you put that together. That's a great way. It's a really easy for us to understand. But I know you were excited about Apple, but how do you even navigate to apply and get the job at Apple? I mean, yeah. I mean, I know, I mean, yeah. I'm thinking about this even from my own perspective. When you said the 80s, I mean, I'm an 80s baby and our next door neighbors had the giant Macintosh and it was awesome. <laughs> but how did you even navigate to get to Apple? Yeah, that is an interesting story uh, because I tell kids the story all the time because I think it's uh, it's where we we it's where we put 
our intentionality together. It's, it's the passion and purpose and understanding of where you want to go. And for me, it was Apple. It was like, that was it. And so I intentionally told, uh, uh, at the time, I was, uh, I was in my last uh, year of school, and uh, I went, uh, came back to Charlotte and said, look, I need to, I need to know everything I need to, to know about Apple and to understand about this technology. So I, I literally walked into a computer land store. It's again, it's dating me again. Uh, where I told the uh, uh, manager there that I wanted to understand Apple. Uh, and he said, well, we're not hiring. And, you know, literally, uh, you know, Apple was a uh, small, very small company. And, you know, they, their technology was back in the back with all the IBMs and compacts and all these things. And so he said, look, if you know Apple, you can work here. I'm not going to pay you. Uh, but we do need somebody to understand this technology as customers come in to ask us about it. So I, was, I, I, I spent my summer there talking about the technology, talking about Apple, uh, talking to kids, talking to customers. Uh, and one day, uh, the Apple district manager walked in, uh, you know, checking on the, the retailer, checking on the product. And then he saw me sitting there uh, and uh, he said, you know, who are you? Why are you here? And I told him, I said, look, my aspiration is to work for Apple. I walked in, knocked on the door. Guy gave me an opportunity and I took advantage of it. And so he saw that initiative and said, hey, you know, why don't you come and intern with us uh, my, my last semester of school and gain some additional exposure, uh, which I did. Uh, I actually uh, spent my last semester of college uh, two days a week in class and three days driving back to Charlotte uh, and working uh, within Apple as an intern in their sales and marketing department uh, and got a chance to see uh, what it took to actually do that. Uh, and as I graduated and uh, they actually uh, they did, I did get a job at Apple. You know, it was entry level. I was in customer support, you know, picking up the, the telephone. And quite interestingly, it was a, a job uh, that really propelled me to what I'm doing somewhat today because it was in the education market. And I would physically talk to teachers on the phone to tell them how to utilize technology. Uh, and they would, I, I could tell you some crazy stories around <laughs> the questions that I would get because, again, this is at the beginning of the techn technology uh, industry where teachers were just beginning to take, bring technology into the classroom. So there weren't, there weren't any computers and iPads and this type of thing. I and mean, it was literally, how do I turn this thing on? Oh my gosh. Uh, like, and, do you, uh, I can completely remember that as a kid <laughs> of just like yeah. even trying to figure out this, the machine felt so enormous. Like when you'd walk in and it would be this big box and all that. I, I, you're going to keep going, uh, but I don't. I just want to make a quick note. One of the things that I love that you just said in your story was that you went into the shop knowing when you went to go take that job that you wanted to work on Apple and learn. And this is the thing that I think is so important is that you took the time. You knew in the back what you wanted to do, but you it, it wasn't like you just went and knocked on Apple's front door and said, hey, I want to work here. You learned about it. You failed forward learning about it. You no, took absolutely. the time to understand the business and what that looked like. So it took a little time, but that was where you began to get your full knowledge about Apple and how the company worked. I, I love that. Okay. So back yep. to your, the teachers are starting to implement. Yep. You know, and uh, so I'm sitting there talking on the phone to teachers and, and, uh, and quite frankly, at that point, you know, I'm thinking, okay, this is cool, but what's the next step? You know, I'm a go-getter. I'm like, what's next? And uh, because of the fact that I had a chance to intern with Apple, uh, one of their uh, account managers um, uh, got pregnant. And so she had to go on maternity leave. And they were like, okay, who's going to replace? We don't, you know, we don't want to, we can't hire anybody. She's going to be out six to eight weeks. Oh, 
William worked uh, in this area uh, for us as an intern. So he's now working at Apple in, their, in our distribution. So let's just pull him over uh, and have him to sustain this market until she comes back from maternity leave. And so I had a great chance to now work in the territory uh, that, uh, that, trust me, I was not prepared for. I mean, I'm literally only a couple years out of college, uh, and now they're throwing me into a uh, enterprise territory of businesses who are utilizing Apple's technology in the enterprise space. So you're talking about I'm going up against uh, you know the, these huge corporations and trying to tell these big businesses how to use their technology from an enterprise perspective. And well, I was way I was in way over my head, uh, but at the same time, I was getting exposed to this you know, to this area of K-12 education, higher education marketing, higher mm -hmm. education technology and things, and you know, because that was really my passion. So, you know, because of that, I had a chance to now swing back around after several years and actually now come back uh, to Apple as a K-12 and higher education marketing executive. Uh, and uh, again, now I'm prepared. Now I'm understanding uh, what it takes to do this job. And so that was really an interesting time for me because it, it began the foundations of uh, really – uh, what I, I do now because I got a chance to see firsthand how to use technology within the education marketplace, you know, and I got a chance to train with, you know, at that time, one of the best companies, uh, uh, we, you know, Apple built their, uh, really their uh, foundation and what they do today on the education market. Uh, and so I learned a ton of things there uh, and really started to, you know, to be able to utilize that now. But, uh, you know, from that, I, uh, I really gained my passion for working with youth uh, and, uh, and, and working with uh, 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 those kids who, who might not otherwise be able to afford or be exposed to this type of technology. Uh, and I saw the types of things that it could do uh, once you created a solution around that technology, uh, whether that be, uh, you know, from a, um, uh, uh, a business and educational or, or a presentation standpoint, a coding standpoint of a uh, a business processes standpoint, all of that came into play when you started to look at how how this type of technology could propel someone into uh, not only entrepreneurship but into corporate marketing and using those entrepreneurial skills to gain you know to gain a foothold. Uh, uh, and so that was my entire foundation as I as I continued to kind of move through corporate America with Apple with the, uh, you know several other educational technology companies uh, back to Apple. Uh, uh, my own. Uh, a uh, company that I run with my wife, a design and marketing company uh, that we that we we started almost 20 years ago uh, to focus in on helping nonprofits and uh, uh, and faith-based organizations to uh, uh, to utilize technology and create brands around that. So all of that came out of that uh, that foundational uh, exploratory phase for me in wanting to understand all about technology. Well, you know, it was interesting as you said that you weren't an engineer. Right. But Mr. <laughs> McNeely, what I hear you telling me is that you engineered your own career quite magically in how you processed. You know, there's something very interesting about, you know, your whole story. And, you know, people talk about this a lot about the end game. The end. What do you want? You know, what is your the end game that you want and then work backwards. And you truly lived that by knowing that Apple was the company you wanted to work for. And I've heard other people over the, the you know, my time of working in tech about saying they wanted to work for Google or they wanted to work for a particular company and then work their way backwards. But to me, I think you actually did apply quite a bit of that mechanical engineering <laughs> by helping to understand the business of computers and the solutions. That was the other key point that I thought you eloquently said was that 
once you understand a solution around technology, it really changes your perspective on how you can drive that solution. Sometimes we have a fear of how um, we are going to interact with tech. And I've talked about this before, but my, the foundation of the way I see my work and how I've driven a lot of my conversations is this concept around perceived ease of use and perceived usefulness. And mm -hmm. if we don't perceive something easy to use or useful, we tend, we don't put our energy into learning it. So I think your ability to be able to show people that there is a solution around the technology they're going to use is really the step people need in order to get over that hump of perceived usefulness or ease of use. So, I want to note there's a, also a little piece that you haven't mentioned, and um, that is you worked in the corporate world for many years, gaining lots of experience, cultivating solutions, understanding the business and how computers can be used as uh, creative mechanisms and not just as consumption. Mm -hmm. But you took a little jump and you went in to actually teach for a few years. Tell me about what moved you to do that. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, uh, uh, you know, part of my whole uh, uh, purpose and my why, as everybody talks about, you know, uh, is to understand that the underpinnings of everything that I, I have done over the years, whether that's been in the nonprofit world or the corporate world, has always been uh, to help people reach their full potential. Uh, and whether that's from an adult standpoint or a youth uh, standpoint, I, I, you know, people recognize fairly early in my life that I was a natural leader, uh, whether that was in, the, you know, six years old, all the way up through high school, where I did a lot of leadership type of things. And, uh, uh, <clears throat> and so, you know, all, you know, that, 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 that potential and that leading and that helping you to see things is it's like you said, you know, you know, start with the end in mind, but when you see that end, how you, how, how did you get there? And, and one of my strengths was helping people to kind of navigate through that because that was all, all, all about my life. I mean, I didn't see the types of things that uh, uh, growing up that I wanted to do. But then I, all of a sudden I said, you know what, how did that person get there? And then time started to work back in order to, uh, to, to make that happen. And so, you know, for me, it was like, okay, uh, you know, uh, I understand solutions and I don't understand exactly how that, 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 that website or that, uh, or, or that, uh, uh, business or, or, or that mechanical device works, but I do understand the solutions that they put together to make those things happen. So even though the solutions are very, very difficult to understand, there's, there's a natural process there. Uh, and so, you know, you know, it's more like my, when the kids, uh, my wife is a great Photoshop user. Okay. She, she, she's very analytical. She can take every single step in utilizing Photoshop to get to the end. Okay. I can't do that, okay? I see the branding and the logo that I want to happen, okay? I see it. I said, okay, that's what I want it to look like. And then I start to work back and say, what are the steps to get to that point? And I only learn the steps to get to that point. I don't learn everything else, you know? So for me, I when I look that. at technology, I say, okay, okay, what is it going to take me to get to that point? Uh, and so I only learn so you can, because you can get overwhelmed with uh, the, the, yes. the, uh, uh, you know the coding and the and the and the and the, and the languages and all. This. I'm like, okay, I don't want to know all of that. And that's why that's when I say I'm not an engineer because I'm a creative guy. I say I can't go through all of that because of my personality. What I want to do is to, to to narrow it down to the essence of what it takes to make that happen and then make it happen. 
That's the way well, I started. But that's perfect. That's just in time learning. That's exactly learning what you need to accomplish the goal at the end. And as adults, just in time learning is what we need. We don't want necessarily want all the fluff all around it. And you're exactly correct about getting lost in the languages. But that process, that algorithm that you're walking through to get to the end game is is huge. Yeah. And it's, 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 you know, you know, whether it's engineering, just in time or whether it's uh, entrepreneurship, leading startup principles, uh, it's the same process, you know. And so I, I had to learn that fairly early. But one of the things that, uh, that you know, to segue back into your question is, is, is that who's teaching kids this? You know, I lost, I mean, in the, in the, in, in the, in the late nineties and in the entrepreneur boom and the, and the internet boom and the online boom. And when, when, you know, everybody was starting startups and I was right there along with Amazon and pets.com and all this, you know, trying to create businesses around that as well. And, you know, I didn't end up, ended up as pets.com, you know, losing a ton of money, you know, based around ideas that we had that we thought that were uh, viable ideas, but we went about it the wrong way. We went about it to, uh, you know, throwing money at it initially like everybody else did instead of starting to understand what the problem and need actually was at the time. And so, uh, you know, instead of taking time to do that, we, you know, here's here's, $100,000 and just go figure it out. Well, you know, dot-com bust happened and uh, uh, everybody went back to doing what they were normally doing. But my, what my process was, okay, wait a minute. If I understood now this whole lean startup, these lean startup principles and the ability to actually start companies by understanding, you know, what the problem is, where, are the, where, where is the need, uh, you know, is there a product market fit here? Does anybody want this, you know, as opposed to just a ton of great ideas that I had? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, and uh, and so now I'm starting to understand. I'm like, okay, somebody's got to tell these kids about this. And so for me, it was like, okay, take the underpinnings of why I exist and my why, and then the the fact that I now I know a ton, of, a, a lot more as it relates to how to do these type of things. So I said, hey, I'm going to take. And I was again, I was in, I was in transition uh, with my job as well. So I said, hey, let me go teach. I want to understand what it takes to teach. Uh, and to do the type of thing. So I took three years out of corporate America and started to teach middle school. Uh, and I had a chance to, uh, uh, to teach entrepreneurship, uh, uh, computer applications, uh, but I taught it differently. I mean, one of my computer application class in CTE and, and, Sh- and, Dr. and Sharon, you understand this. You, you probably mm-hmm. familiar with some of this as well, where they wanted me to teach database, uh, spreadsheet, uh, and word processing. And I'm like, I'm looking at my principal like, okay, you want me to teach spreadsheet, database, and word processing. To a middle schooler. Now, to a middle schooler. <laughs> now, I, I, now, now, I understand how to do that. I mean, I, I've utilized all three of the, those uh, software applications, you know, because of what I do. But I don't like to do that. Okay, I don't, I mean, I, I can't sit down and, and work with a spreadsheet all, all day. Unless, again, as we talked about, that there is an outcome that I'm, that I'm moving right. toward. And so I told him, I said, look, I will teach these classes uh, in the, under the uh, uh, auspices of developing businesses. And if you allow me to do that and the outcome is a literal business, then I'll teach database, spreadsheet, and word processing in the confines of that. And she said, oh, yeah, that's fine. I want you to bring in your expertise and your experience based around that, too. So that's what I did. You know, we started from the beginning of, okay, we're going to create a business. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is how we're going to do it. And we're going to utilize this technology as we move through that. And I loved it. They loved it. When we were creating all types of businesses, we were doing Shark Tank type of uh, 
uh, processes where the kids will start from the beginning, create their businesses and, and pitch it to the teachers in the, in, in the school. Uh, and they would show their spreadsheets. They would show their databases. They would show sure. their, their PowerPoint. They would show right. all of that. And they would show the, the mastery of those things. But we would never go through and say, okay, here's, you know, click the slide here you know, uh, and create this, you know, we would go through about, okay, here's the pitch deck, you know, and what is the, what are the components of the pitch deck? And in order for you to learn how to create this pitch deck, you're going to have to learn PowerPoint to do it. Uh, I love and, it. Uh, but they weren't thinking about, you know, the, uh, you know, specific, specifics of PowerPoint. They would just ask me, Mr. McNeely, how do you put this on the, on the slide? And I would mm-hmm. go through the process of how to, how to do that. And it's okay. That wasn't hard. You know, and they would, they would pick it up, pick it up all of a sudden. But we weren't learning, you know, 98% of, of PowerPoint. We were only learning the parts that we would need to reach the solution, the goal that we had to do. Uh, and so I loved it. Uh, and the kid loved it. But that really propelled me now into, okay, how can I take this out of the confines of the school system and then teach that to kids in the community? I love uh, it. And that's really where, um, where what we do today actually emanated from. And, you know, there's two pieces to that. We're going to dig into more about Do Greater in our next segment. But what I am dancing over here and have goosebumps is that William and I share that same love of showing the purpose of why you need to use PowerPoint, Excel, database, because just sitting and learning it from a slide doesn't give a lot of relevance to students. They have to see the purpose and the end game of why they're going to use this particular software. And as adults, we need that same concept. Why am I going to use an Excel spreadsheet and what is going to be the purpose behind it? What is the data-driven piece? What is the business piece of why I'm going to use this software? What, you know, what is the gain for me? And same thing, I, that's something, and the, the part that you just said about PowerPoint and how you have used PowerPoint saying this is the pitch deck. Now here's why you're going to use this pitch deck. I mean, Awesome. I know those kids still probably reach out to you on a regular basis wanting to hang out (laughs) with Coach McNeely. So when we come back, we are going to uh, move our conversation into talking about how William started Do Greater. There is a personal experience that helped drive this decision home that he was going to start this nonprofit. As he mentioned, he'd already really begun to think about it while he was teaching, but there is a pivotal moment in his life that transitioned him into this role. So stay with us, and when we come back, we're going to talk to William about this amazing nonprofit that he has begun called Do Greater Charlotte and how you can help. We'll be right back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. From face-to-face training to blended training techniques, the DOT Consulting delivers distinct advantage for organizations looking to grow. We help you invest in technology knowledge through training, experimental learning, and community connections. Employees create an overall collective sharpness, savviness, and greater productivity using technology as a tool, thus increasing the technological speed and quality of the expertise in your organization. The DOT Consulting, a new level of tech savvy, Visit the dot consulting.co. The world needs more women with tech skills. At the Dottie Rose Foundation, we encourage, support, and educate girls who have an interest in technology and want to learn how it can be used to enhance their learning and future careers. 
Our camps demonstrate that most future career paths will benefit from developing a wide range of increasingly important technology and software skills. We accomplish this through mastering computational thinking, boosting self-confidence, and creating new possibilities for each girl. Visit DottieRoseFoundation.org. You are listening to Coding the Future with Dr. Sharon Jones. We invite you to connect with the show today by calling in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to Sharon at the.consulting.co. Now, back to Coding the Future. Welcome back, everyone, and welcome back, William, to Coding the Future before we went on our break, we were talking to William about his journey and how he has navigated his life and career with the end in mind and knew what he wanted his goals to be and has worked his way through his career to be successful and find another piece that I think he also mentioned was that he had an end in mind, but the journey to get there went a lot of different ways and it was more exciting than he could ever imagine. But these days, William has moved into being an entrepreneur with a nonprofit world, and his nonprofit is called Do Greater CLT. But William, there was something in your life, a personal um, experience that drove you to really take the steps to start this. You knew that you wanted to do something from your years of teaching, but this particular experience moved you to start this nonprofit. So tell us, tell us, give us the, tell us what happened. Yeah. Once I left teaching, uh, you know, at that point there was a time in my life where I really tried to figure out, okay, what am I going to do next? I've had this experience teaching and I loved it with the, the kids. And I, I literally went back into corporate America for a little bit, uh, just really trying to understand the next phases. And, you know, because when you, going through this process, you still got to bring in the money for your kids and college kids are in college and variety of different types of things. So as I started to kind of figure out, I was working, uh, thinking about the next steps. And all of a sudden, back in 2016, uh, I became sick. Uh, my body started to break down. Uh, and, uh, you know, again, I was a very energetic person who has been, you know, running around with kids for most of his life. And all of a sudden things started happening, happening to me. And, uh, uh, I ended up uh, in the 2016, going into 2017, being uh, diagnosed, uh, actually the whole 2016, with idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis, uh, and uh, which is literally a scarring of the lungs, very simply, uh, that had been happening in my body for a number of years, uh, and then at that in 2016 actually started to affect me. Uh, and as I went in, I think it was March 2016, as I went in to try to figure out what was happening in my body, why I could not breathe. Uh, as effectively as I had before, uh, th that day as the doctor was diagnosing me with the uh, fibrosis, uh, I became very uh, uh, short of breath. Uh, and from that day on, I think it was more, I really almost literally remember the day, March 15, 2016, I was placed on oxygen uh, to help me breathe. And for the next three years, I was on oxygen 24-7. Uh, so I had gone from coaching football, running around, having a great uh, career and environment to now literally pulling oxygen takes behind me. Uh, and it was a, a drastic uh, change for me, obviously being so active uh, and then trying to next to figure out now, okay, am I going to be fulfilled uh, or going to be able to fulfill the uh, things that I believed I was called to do? Uh, because there was now a doubt. 
because pulmonary, mm -hmm. uh, pulmonary fibrosis, there is no cure. Okay, there's, there's nothing but end of life. They literally called it end of life. Uh, and I, I, I literally didn't accept that. I was like, end of, what are you talking about, end of life? I've got all kinds of stuff to do. Uh, and, uh, you know, you know, you know, and I was literally listed, you know, I looked at my, my medical, uh, form and it says end of life. And I'm oh like, okay. Gosh. So, so I, uh, so I'm, again, I'm pulling these tanks and, and I think for me, uh, the, there's it, a couple things. It's, it's all about perspective. Uh, and this is what I learned. And I think I learned it very early in my life from my mom who, who, uh, again, was a single parent, uh, four kids and pushed all four of her kids through college and, and success, and because she changed her perspective of her, of her environment, it wasn't looking at the environment that she was in at that time, which was which was poverty, but looking at down the road at what could happen. And then for me, all those things started to come back. It was like, okay, I'm pulling oxygen tanks, but what? Don't look at where I am today. Look at where I'm going. Uh, and it was and it was a perspective shift there. And so I didn't dwell on the the, the fact that I was carrying oxygen tanks around every day. It was my son's senior year in high school. He was playing football. I was coaching football at a high school with him. And so I literally pulled that tank on the football field and kept coaching uh, and then continued to figure out, okay, what, what is it? And that was the really the, the foundation of, of Do Greater. It was I came up with all of that in the midst of adversity. It was when I was going through that that the revelation came from me to how to create an organization to make an impact on the lives of other people, not particularly worrying about myself. And so as I went through 16 and 17 and got into 18, still three years, and the doctors are saying, yeah, this is three years. This is when it starts to get bad. And I'm like, look, I'm good. You know, I had gone up and down, up and down. But literally, as I moved into 2019, it fell off the cliff. And I really started to go from, uh, bad to worse, uh, and carrying uh, multiple oxygen. Tanks. I got up to carrying three oxygen tanks uh, around behind me, which was pretty heavy. Oh my gosh! Uh, and uh, <clears throat> and was that because that one would because you would need it? One one it. wasn't enough. I would need. Oh, I would so you need, need all both. three of them. Okay. I would need it. I would need all three of them, and then one would run out so quickly. I mean, one would literally run run out in fifteen minutes. Oh my! So gosh. I couldn't literally go out of the house without making sure that I had enough oxygen for at least an hour. So, you, so you're so you thinking that, okay, I'm going to run out. And, then, you know, we would go to the movies. And I couldn't make it through a movie uh, because I didn't have enough oxygen. And I, my wife would literally run out of the movie halfway through, give me another oxygen tank, attach it, run the other tank out, back out. And she's the hero in all of this. Uh, they kept me uh, me moving forward, but uh, in nineteen it literally, literally got to the point where that was it. It was no, nothing else you, you could do, and I went up to Duke uh, to get evaluated for a lung transplant. Uh, wow. And even when I went there, my uh, my my uh, condition was worsening uh, really really fast. So within three weeks, uh, I was at a, what I call a crisis of belief. It was the fact that I was sitting in the middle of a doctor's uh, office, and he was telling me that. Uh, you know, if we don't transplant you within two weeks, we don't know what will happen. Uh, he literally was telling me that I only had two weeks to live. And I'm like, okay, what are you, are you really saying this? I, I'm not, I'm not, it's not computing per se. My, my experience is telling me that, okay, there's still a solution to figure out here. Mm -hmm. uh, and I literally told the doctor at that point, I said, you know what, there's two weeks. You said, you said two weeks. Uh, well, we got two weeks to figure out how to make this happen. Uh, and I literally continued to think past that two weeks. Uh, and he said to me, he said, well, you know, we're going to try to get you transplanted. I was just listed uh, for a transplant officially that Thursday night. And he said, we're going to try to get you transplanted that, this weekend. And I'm saying, okay. 
And, uh, you know, but in the back of my mind, still the logic is saying, okay, where are you going to get these lungs from? I mean, somebody literally has to die for me to live. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, uh, and, uh, and so that Thursday night, I, he told me that. And by Saturday, they called me at Duke and told me they had lungs and to come in. Now, when wow. they tell you this, when they tell you this, you know, you can't get too excited because there's a lot of things that have to happen before these lungs are matched to you. Mm-hmm. You know, are they the right size? You know, I'm five, eight. You know, is this a six, four guy uh, whose lungs I'm not going to fit in me in my chest cavity? Uh, are these lungs, are they not diseased? Is there any, I mean, are, are the antibodies that I have a match? I mean, all kinds of different types of things that I have to go through. And there are many times where you go through a dry run where they say, okay, well, we thought it was this, but it's not. And that's why you hear people say they die waiting for lungs uh, because they're, they're, they're ready for transplant, but they can't find the right lungs for this person, and they end up dying. So I'm thinking there, I've got two weeks, and I'm thinking, okay, uh, we got to figure this out. So that Saturday, I'm there, and he comes back, and he says, William, let's go. This is a go. Uh, and that Saturday, uh, or Friday evening, I went, I think it was 10 o'clock that Friday, I mean Saturday, and then Sunday, the next morning, I woke up and I was new lungs. I'm breathing and I'm like, okay, okay, this is, uh, this is interesting <laughs> because, you know, the percentages are, you know, of you going in and coming out are, you know, they tell you that. They'll say, hey, you know, there's, there's, you know, there's, a, there's a percentage of folks who don't come through this. And so as I wave to my family, I'm thinking, okay, I'll see you guys on the other side. And uh, that Sunday afternoon, I'm, you know, they're, they're, uh, they're, uh, I mean, I see you and on a ventilator and all of this. And then by Monday, they're pulling the ventilator out. And then by the next day, they're testing me to, uh, you know, to see if I can swallow. And by the next day, they're getting me up, walking around the facility. And then within a couple of weeks, I'm out of the hospital. And then within three weeks, I'm uh, out of rehab, which they told me could take six to eight months for me to rehab. Uh, and this happened in March of 2019. By Memorial Day, I was back in Charlotte. Uh, on that uh, Memorial Day weekend, and by that Friday, I was back out in the community starting my foundation. So it took me, uh, by the time, it took me on in March having a, a uh, lung transplant, and within six weeks, I was back on the streets of Charlotte helping people. Uh, I mean, like, I, I literally, I'm just, my mouth is wide open. I mean, I know this story, but to hear you tell it, every time you tell it, I'm, I'm, I'm and I'm, I'm still thinking about when we first met, and <laughs> I mean, it's unbelievable, William, that will to want to, your willpower is quite frankly amazing. I, I don't, I don't even, there's no word. I don't really even want to say any more words because that is going to not do justice to the story that you just told us. I met you right around that time mm-hmm. as I was coming out of, I don't know, it was middle of last year, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, it was just, Let's get this started because you just, you know, again, again, you know, I talked about having a crisis of belief. And I think at that point, your, all your, your faith, all of your experience, all of your teachings, everything that you've learned throughout your life gets to a point where you say, I believe, but there's some doubt, you know, and everybody always thinks that, you know, you got this positive guy uh, who is going to make it through everything. But trust me, there was, you know, you, you know, there was a ton of doubt. There was like, okay, am I going to get through this, you know? Uh, and uh, I would just say, you know what? Uh, and people would hear me say this, and I don't know if they believed it or not, but I would say to myself, I said, you know what? I got stuff to do. You know, it's, it's just not my time. And I literally believed that to the point where uh, 
I was literally planning and, you know, planning for the other side, per se, as I called it. You know, it was like literally I was still writing stuff down mm-hmm. that I was going to do when I came out of this transplant. Uh, and I just said, I just got, you know, it's, it's and then when, 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 it, when I finally came out and was transplanted that next week, uh, there were some up and down days. You know, there were some dark days where, I, you know, the, all, because I've, I've got a lot of medicine in me. <laughs> you know, sure. so that, medicine said, that medicine says, okay, you're going to do this, you're not going to do this, you're going to do this, you want to do this or you don't want to do this. Uh, but there were times where I said, you know what, I've, I've, you know, it's, it's, time, it's time to move. And that literally was, uh, I wrote this, this statement down that I tell people with that, that, that really was the foundation to do great. I wrote it down, I literally wrote this statement that says, commit to doing something greater that will keep giving when you are no longer able to give. Uh, and I literally wrote that down. I said, what are you saying? Commit to doing something greater that will keep giving when you are no longer able to give. And I said, you know, I have done some, some, some good stuff in my life. And uh, I've, I've worked a lot with kids. I've worked with nonprofits. I've given tons of things. Uh, but the thing, the, the one principle that we teach uh, with our, within our foundation is called going beyond good. Uh, all of us have good within us. But until you move that good into action, then it becomes great. Uh, and so we talk about how you have ideas, those good ideas. But until you move those into action, they do nothing. They sit there. They don't make an impact to anyone. Uh, and so that's what we teach. Go beyond good. I had done some good things in my life, but until I moved the, the things that I wrote down on that piece of paper that got me through that challenge, until I moved those things into action, that was when I started to do greater. And that's where Do Greater uh, uh, started. I'm just going to be quiet for a moment and let everybody sink in what he just said. There's two. Let me be quiet for real. Okay, because if I don't, I may start crying. So I'm going to try not to do this because I am always inspired when I speak with you, William. But there's two things here that I I really love what you just said, going beyond good. And, you know, you're exactly right. We all have done great things in our lives. But when you take that and put it into action, it's a very different manifestation of how that good is done. So tell me, Tell our listeners a little bit about Duke and how you have cultivated this um, mission and where you're going with the organization. Yeah, I tell you, uh, you know, we, you know, as I went through this entire process and we get and we came up with actually do do greater principles as I was going through the, uh, my challenge. Uh, and then so I thought, OK, how do how, how do we actual, uh, actualize the principles that I was taught and to teach those to individuals, um, uh, specifically youth uh, in, in the area? Uh, and then I started thinking about my life and the access and exposure I've, I've had to technology and how it propelled me going forward. And so. Uh, I, you know, just taking all that experience, I was literally uh, sitting in an Apple store one day, just uh, going through my, uh, you know, understanding and trying to learn uh, more creative applications for myself uh, as I was going through that challenge. And I sat there and I'm thinking, okay, you know, I'm in this very creative environment. And I'm thinking, this is the type of uh, content, technology and creative application that need that needs to happen in the community. Uh, and, uh, so I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, well, how do you do this? How do you, how do you take this environment that I'm, that I'm enjoying out into 
the community with kids who don't have access to this, who can't make it to this environment, who, who just don't have time to get here. And, and, the, and the creativity that I'm learning here that I can infuse into a curriculum that these kids are, are learning that are not, that, that's literally not happening in schools. Because, not because teachers don't want to do it, because they just don't have the time. You know, um, and, and, and for me, it was like, okay, how can I do this? And so we literally came up with the uh, uh, foundations of creating a mobile technology lab that could go into the communities and now teach the type of creativity infused into the things or what we call through the lens of things that our kids are excited about. And so we literally went out and got a, uh, a Lance cookie truck. It looks like a FedEx UPS truck, a step van <laughs> that we picked up from a, a local uh, vendor here uh, and converted that into a technology lab. We wrapped it with great graphics. We put 15 to 20 iPads, you know, clo uh, close it in with, uh, with the you know, wall flooring and nice uh, uh, walls and TVs and Wi-Fi and projectors and literally can drive this into a community and teach kids uh, creative applications, entrepreneurship, a variety of different types of things that they uh, can get uh, access and exposure not only to this technology but to individuals who might be doing this, the same type of things in their uh, corporate uh, uh, jobs as well. Uh, and so that's how we really start to, uh, uh, to put the idea of creativity into action. Uh, you know, again, one of our uh, core do-greater principles is ideas to impact. Uh, and so we talk about creating ideas, but not only creating ideas, but creating impactful ideas, one that make an impact on the lives of other people. Uh, and so, uh, and so that's what we teach within the confines of, 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 of our truck. And so that became the, the foundation for what we do. But then moving forward from there, we said, okay, now we have a, a distribution to, uh, to teach, you know, coding, creative applications, entrepreneurship, other STEM uh, curriculum. But how do we now create a platform to be able to do that uh, virtually and in a physical space per se? Uh, and so instead of having the truck be the, uh, the, uh, the thing that everybody sees and loves, now we're creating a platform that's conducive for, uh, for teaching the entire content uh, platform. And that looks like virtually and a physical space that we're looking to move forward with, with uh, a partnership where we established with a church here in town in Charlotte called Shiloh Institutional Baptist Church. And I had experienced a lot of creative environments with co-working, a lot of spaces that I had been involved with as well. And I wanted to create a space like that for kids to not only house our content, be able to teach our content from, a, from an entrepreneurship standpoint, but to allow kids to co-learn together, to feed off each other, uh, to collaborate with each other, uh, to create impactful and to take these ideas to impact that could impact the community. And so we have established a relationship, almost 4,000 square feet that we're starting to renovate with Shiloh and to create that co-learning and co-working space specifically for kids in the community, in their community. Uh, and in a community that's becoming gentrified and, 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 and changing right before our eyes that can bring these two different communities together. Uh, one that's moving in, that work, that work in Uptown Charlotte, which is a very urban environment, and the kids who have been there uh, that uh, uh, in, a, in a poor, uh, economically depressed environment as well, that now they can all come together uh, and learn and collaborate and co-learn from a youth and an adult perspective as well. So. That's Do Greater Charlotte. Uh, we love what we're doing. Uh, we uh, have a passion for working with kids. And Dr. Jones, you know you are uh, 
intricately involved in helping us to reach our mission and vision. And we love what you guys do as well and what you bring to the table. So uh, we're excited about this as we move forward through the end of the, this year. Uh, COVID has caused a little challenge for us because <laughs> literally our initial impetus for what we do with the truck cannot go out. We can't take 15 kids and put them in the back of a truck at this point. So what we have converted and pivoted to is taking the truck out. Uh, and the truck is literally a uh, big Wi-Fi hotspot uh, that uh, that we can take out now and, and, and uh, have kids uh, not only uh, log on to uh, the Internet from our truck if they don't have access to high-speed Internet, uh, but we can actually teach uh, content and training directly uh, in a theater style on the outside of our truck until it gets cold and then we do it virtually and then now moving toward the physical space uh, for us as well. Yeah, I love all of the pieces and the way that you have transitioned to offer and I am honored that you and I got to even partner um, over the summer to do a drive-in style opportunity for kids where we pulled the truck up and the kids had access to the internet and we taught them how to create a story based on a superhero so they use tech and their creativity to be able to and uh, William was able to speak to them about entrepreneurship and how taking what they love and want to do with their lives and how they could create their own career out of that path. But the mission of what you're doing with Do Greater is so big. I, at the core of, of what we do as nonprofits is understanding that intersection between community and education and knowing that there is value in both, understanding what the, the purpose of K-12 education is to serve our children, and then how the community aspect elevates that learning so there's purpose. So bringing those two together is a very magical and impactful scenario for students and for adults, because as I mentioned at the top of the show, part of where we get our drive from and our excitement is almost like dopamine <laughs> is watching the kids get so excited when they interact with somebody who does something they love or an adult shares a piece of content or information that just changes a little bit of perspective in a child's uh, mindset. And that's exactly what you're doing with Do Greater. You're taking all the skill sets that you have from your time as a career, your personal experience and creating this very meaningful opportunity for students and for our community. If some of our listeners would like to get involved, because you mentioned uh, part of what your mission is, you have a truck, and let me tell you all, the Lance truck is awesome, although it's not a Lance potato chip truck anymore, but it's, uh, you know, um, it's fantastic and, and can drive um, but you also can do this virtually, which you have been doing. But then that physical space is also important because even with the virtual connections, we still, as humans, still want to have that, you know, physical connection. So being able to create this community there at Shiloh, how can our, use, our listeners help you uh, reach this goal? And um, what does that look like? Uh, money and support, <laughs> you know, quite simply. Uh, you know, I think I think the things that you have to the underpinnings of what we do uh, and, uh, you, you know, you can look at you look at yourself and you look at the things that, uh, you know, your, you know, your history, your upbringing, the types of things that make all of us successful. We think that's 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 three things for us uh, to help these kids with. And that's one 
it's access to quality tools and equipment. You know, when we were growing up, I was, uh, 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 I loved, uh, my, my mom introduced me to music and I was a trumpet player and I played trumpet, I played uh, all kinds of things and I got my leadership skills because I was a drum major in high school. So I became drum major as a, uh, in high school as well. So that's why, to me, that's where my leadership skills came from. Uh, but I could not afford a trumpet. I couldn't afford a cornet uh, when I was in the fourth and fifth grade. And so we had to do all kinds of kinds of different types of things that actually literally get me an instrument that actually propelled me to do different things. And so the one thing that we think is important for us is to provide access to, uh, to quality tools and equipment for these kids who might not otherwise have the ability to do that. You know, secondly, we believe there's a, you know, the opportunity needs a dedicated space for learning in the community. Mm-hmm. And so when you look at the types of things that made you guys successful, made all of us successful, you know, whether it was music for me, whether it was, you know, I, I know a lot of folks who, uh, who uh, you know, wanted to do things like in, in carpentry and work with their hands and even computer technology early on. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you know, literally, you know, some of these kids, a lot of these kids that we work with have no physical space to do that. Right. So we can uh, we can understand for us, we can say, oh, you know, go up to the bonus room and, or in your own room and do that. Well, you know, a lot of these kids don't have that. I mean, they have right. three and four, you know, siblings in the same room. They don't have a dedicated space uh, that they can, uh, <clears throat> they can they can work on their craft. So for us, it's, again, quality tools, dedicated space to be able to do that. And lastly, a, a supportive group of people that can help them to move forward with their passion. And so those three things we believe we can provide in the space uh, that we are calling the Creative Lab at Shiloh. Uh, and we're l- really looking for uh, folks who can come alongside of us and, one, provide funding to help us do this. It's going to, uh, uh, you know, literally cost us up about two hundred $275,000 to convert this space into the space that we believe the kids need. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, filled with maker labs and video production, music production. Uh, we even, you know, coffee shop that they could actually literally run themselves uh, from an entrepreneur standpoint. And even we thinking about the things like uh, screen printing. Uh, to help oh, kids yeah. uh, learn that process and lo- learn the entrepreneurial process as well. And so in order to convert this almost 4,000 square feet space to do that, you know, it's going to be a substantial amount of money for us to do that. And we're, we're, we're on our way. We, we're getting corporate support. We're getting local support. Uh, but we still have a long way to go. Uh, and then, and then uh, as well, uh, volunteering. Uh, you know, that supportive group of people that can come alongside of us and help these kids to move forward uh, in this creative process. Uh, whether you uh, expose these kids to the type of things that you do in a corporate environment, whether you're an entrepreneur yourself uh, who can expose these kids to the type of things you do as a, as a business owner or just a mentor uh, that can just show these kids what can can be for them uh, in, 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 uh, in the sense of what you do from a day-to-day standpoint. We're looking for that type of help as well. Because when you look, as Dr. Jones had talked about, when you look at these kids in the eye and say, Here's what you can be and can do. Uh, and then show them that and show them how to get that. You get there. Because, again, remember what happened to me is that I saw the end. And I said, I could do that, but I don't know the steps it takes to do that. You know, I don't, I'm not exposed to the types of things every day that uh, a parent, uh, you know, that could show a kid, you know, that it's an attorney and can show their son or daughter that here's what it takes to be an attorney. These kids don't have that. They don't have, they don't see those things every day. So what you have to do is we have to show them what an attorney does. And then we have to literally show them the steps to get there. Uh, mm-hmm. And we do that every day by interacting with them and showing them those things. And uh, that's what happened to me. 
uh, you know, where I saw the steps and I reverse engineered that thing and to say, this is how I'm going to do it. And now we have to show those kids the same thing. So those are the things I think we can, uh, that we need help with uh, financially and from a uh, volunteer standpoint. Our website is dogreater.org, very simple, D-O-G-R-E-A-T-E-R, dogreater.org. Uh, and that can be, uh, uh, you know, 10, 15, 20, or $100,000 to help us uh, meet the, uh, the needs of this community. And we believe that, uh, uh, that the, uh, you know, as I talked about earlier uh, in my entrepreneurial uh, adventures myself and understanding, uh, you know, identifying a problem and a need and creating a solution to meet that need uh, and uh, that's what we're doing here. So we've identified that, uh, and we know the need is there, and now we're creating a solution to meet that need. And so that's Do Greater Charlotte. Uh, hopefully there'll be a Do Greater Charlotte. There'll be a Do Greater Atlanta. There'll be a Do Greater London. There'll be a Do Greater all kinds of uh, 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 environments and, uh, and uh, chapters that are out there to do the same thing across the, across the world as well. I know that there will be, and I know that this is just the beginning of all the success. And thank you so much for sharing your story, sharing your passion, being the change in the community that is needed for our kids and inspiring us as adults to see the end game, to see the end in mind and do some reverse engineering to get us to that point. It's been truly inspirational. My action item for you today, everyone, is to go to dogreater.org and see the great work that William is doing. You can also go to dottyrosefoundation.org and see more about our work and the partnership that William and I have cultivated over the past year and a half. And I would really love for you to think about this. Where do you want to go in your career? Think about that end game, that end in mind. Where do you want to be and what are some steps that you can take right now to get there? And maybe that is just simply by Googling one action item, one thing you want to do. But the main goal for today is to go to dogreater.org and check out all the amazing work that William's doing and think about how you may be able to contribute with your school skill set. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, William, for being here. And we cannot wait to see you on the next episode of Coding the Future. Thank you so much for listening to Coding the Future. Please join your host, Dr. Sharon Jones, for another edition next Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time. That's 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll talk then.